The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. Welcome to Autism Live and to Let's Talk Autism. Yes, we have to start by acknowledging that we're coming to you quite late this morning. We've had some issues and, uh, you know, Technical best laid problems. plans. Right. Best laid plans, you know, uh, And but I apologize to all of you who wrote in with questions for Dr. Doreen. She was here and it would like, I bummed about it, but life happens, right? right? And right. and we go on, especially when you live in LA. Uh -huh. uh, we learn that, like you we know, roll with the punches. We, we learn to live with uh, the dreams and the disappointments, right? right? Exactly. Right. So, uh, but Nancy is here with me. I'm Shannon Penrod, and I'm Nancy Oswald Jackson. And it's time for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We have a, a packed show. Yeah, we have a, two guests and and big news. We right. have three guests actually. And we have three a total guests. of okay. three guests. Um, so we're introducing a new segment on the show where, you know, a lot of times Nancy and I do in the news and we will cover, um, a study that's mm -hmm. done and we, you know, slaughter the names, right. <laughs> the different gene expressions the and then, oh my gosh, I was never a science geek. Me so. neither. And so we, we try to make sense of it and uh -huh. we, we miss having an expert on the show who can sort of decipher some of the studies. So we have gone to the Center for Autism and Related Disorders R&D department, their research and development right. department, and said, hey, can we occasionally borrow somebody and have them come in and talk about a study? So in just a minute, we're going to have one of the experts talk about two studies that have been uh, really important in the last few months, uh, and she'll tell us a little bit about them and comment on how they might be significant to us. But there are a couple of things that we just couldn't leave alone right. and in the news. Uh, first one, uh, yeah, uplifting story. Mm -hmm. This made my pulse jump. I, I don't I don't know why particularly this story grabbed me, but I think it's grabbing a lot of people. Kent State recruit Kaylin Bennett mm -hmm. is the first player with autism to get a Division One basketball scholarship. Yes. He's going to Kent State. And this young man, watch out for him because he's about the basketball, mm -hmm. and apparently he's a brilliant, very tall, drink of water uh, basketball player, ten. right? Um, but he is ever so much more than that because he, watch him, he's our new autism spokesperson. Right, and what amazed me about this is that he was told... He it took him to the age of four till he took his first steps and eight before he could have a conversation, and work in therapy helped him overcome. So we're talking about a very late start. That's right. And then overcoming all of these odds to do this. And, and he wants to be a spokesperson. Exactly. For Listen to this quote from him. I want to make an impact, not just on the court, but with kids that are struggling with the same things I am. I want to use this platform to inspire other kids with autism and non-autism. I want to let them know, hey, if I can do this, you can do it too. A lot of times they feel alone and by themselves, and I felt that same way growing up. I just want to hug all six feet, ten inches of Yeah, him. he's going to be, like you say, somebody to watch. I, and I, I love, there's a story that they're telling about um, that he was, that he was, to his face, they were saying how they should lower expectations right. to him and to his mom. And he went back and met the person. The counselor. Who said that. And he said, here I am. You're the person that said this. And I hope you didn't say that to anybody else. Right. Because that can ruin a life. No use. I can't. And she had to sit there and take it on the chin. Yeah. But I'm telling you, uh, our kids can. So, and then. Another uh, study on the prevalence. Yes. Now, one in 40 U.S. kids. This is from CNN. Um, this is from. Um, this a was journal, the big study news in the journal Pediatrics. Yes, Pediatrics comes out with a study saying that we have surveyed parents and uh, asked them questions about 
has your child ever been diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder? Mm -hmm. And they are reporting that from that uh, study that it is one in 40 children Which in the U.S. That's a huge number. That's two and a half percent of the population. Right. That's estimated 1.5 million kids, three to 17 years of age. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, it's hard to understand these numbers um, because there the are CDC has different numbers. There are three different ways that we currently measure mm -hmm. how um, how many people are on the autism spectrum. And this, we generally go off of the CDC numbers, but yes. we have been saying for a long time that the way the CDC collects information drives me buggy because they only collect information from 11 states. They, you know, are only looking at kids within a certain window that are a certain age range mm -hmm. and they're looking back mm -hmm. and asking, is there an education report or is there a medical report? And you and I both know people who the school didn't recognize it right. and the doctors didn't recognize right. it. I mean, I can tell you that when my child was diagnosed with autism, we had two different insurances. Mm -hmm. And years later, when I was talking to somebody at Kaiser about my child being diagnosed, they were like, oh, we don't have a record of that. Right. Because we had him diagnosed in the other uh, insurance. And I was like, what do mm. you mean you don't have a record of that? My kid has multiple papers with diagnosed. They were like, oh, well, you just never filed those. So my kid wouldn't be counted. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and people are saying, well, when you ask a parent, you know, it's not reliable. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, <laughs> what? So a parent is going to sit there and when asked, <coughs> it does, has your child ever been diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder? A parent's going to go... Yeah, I think so. Right. It's, it's absurd. What? Yeah. Um, so two out of the three studies have said one in 40. In fact, the third study said uh, perhaps even, even more. Even higher. Even, even higher. higher number. So uh, you get to pick and choose which numbers you want, but I'm going with the one in 40, and uh, it's time for us to rethink this. Right. Everybody wants, every article you read, I know because I read a bunch of them, are all saying, oh, but it's not really growing. Mm-hmm. It's just that we're looking at it in a different way, but it's not really growing. What number will it be when they will before agree they, that it, it's growing? Agree that it's Don't growing. even get right. me started. Uh, but you were talking about the, the ways that we track how children, how many kids have autism. Yeah. The U.S. government measures in three ways here. Yes. Uh, and I included that for our reference because right. there are three different ways. And if you're confused about it, take a second. Um, there's a great article that's out there right now called How Many Kids Have Autism? U.S. Government Measures in Three Ways. But they put so many asterisks after everything. And, and I honestly think that measuring in three different ways is one of the ways that it gets convoluted because they go, well, that, that study doesn't really matter. Well, that study, well, mm -hmm. this, that, what, what, you know. Um, and they excuse, excuse, excuse. Right. But, uh, you know, I, in my lifetime, I remember when it was one in 10,000. I do too. And now we're, we're quibble, quibbling over is it one, one in, in 59 40. or is it one in 40? And you're telling me that it, that that it, it has an increase? better diagnosis? Right. Yeah. I yeah, don't I don't think, think so. so. Okay. <laughs> Get me started. Okay. So, so uh, I mentioned that we have experts on a regular two, basis. Two guests coming up today. Three. Expert. Three. Three. I keep saying two. And that's okay. Three. So the first person that we're welcoming right now joining us is, is our expert. Yes. From the, okay. uh, the research and development department. She's been on the show before oh, as she's... one of our experts. Okay. Karen Nolte is joining us. Karen, are you there? Unfortunately, I cannot hear her. Are I you able to either. hear her, Nancy? No, I cannot. Eric, we're not able to hear her. Uh, no, now we, now can't. we can hear her. Are you there, Karen? Okay. I can hear you now. Which office are you coming to us from? I'm out of the Longwood office today. Fabulous. And Karen, you are working with the Research and Development Department of CARD, is that correct? Correct, yes. And so you've got two studies that you wanted to talk with us about today. Fill us in. Expert sure. us. <laughs> so the two studies we have are on the parent support. The first are intervention for well-being of children with a systematic and that's by Hansen and we are so getting about every third word. Right. We're not getting a clear audio. Eric, is there anything we can do to bump that, or do we need to call her back? 
All right, we're going to take a short break. Can we show a commercial break here? Karen, we're going to fix the audio because I want to hear every word that you have to say, not every third word. Sure. So stand by. Okay. We'll be right back. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult me? reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life including self-control, planning, and problem-solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living wish, learn, become. You say howdy, we say hi. Let's get wild, let's get wild. Let's get, let's get, 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 let's get wild. Hi, welcome back to Autism Live. I'm Lisa Ackerman. I've got Kristen Selby-Gonzalez here with me today. And the feedback, overwhelmingly, oh, chicken nuggets! It's probably one of the easiest recipes on the planet. Well, we know all of our kids love chicken nuggets. <laughs> oh, let's talk about corn. GMOs, uh, genetically modified foods, are no bueno for a lot of folks, and we agree. So um, I've actually called the manufacturers to make sure these are GMO-free product. Really simply, what I did with the, um, the corn flakes is just the old-fashioned crush away. Um, that's just the easiest way. Maybe you can crush that a little bit well, for me. That's something our kids can help us with. Yeah. We're doing cooking with them. Well, and fine motor yeah, improvement. Absolutely. Boom. <laughs> Sensory issues. Boom. A lot of people will over season. Uh, they season for adults. So, from the standpoint of just putting it in enough flavor, now that we got our uh, base, our coating in, I'm going to work on how we coat the chicken. Now, Kristen, was Jax ever allergic to eggs? He has been. There's a lot of options with eggs. Don't you know that you can also look at duck eggs? Really? Quail eggs and other types of eggs that even though they look the same in the bowl, they're different on the allergy panel. Let's say you find out you're allergic to every egg on the planet. You can use a little bit of water and arrowroot starch. I've got a, a high-grade stainless steel, non-Teflon frying pan. I'm using high heat oil, getting all ready to go. So we're just really easily going in and coating the chicken. Now, when I'm flipping these, Lisa, um, do I flip over and over, or do I just cook one side and then the other? You know, I prefer to cook one side, because what happens is the good coating that you spent all this time crushing oh. for me falls off. Gotcha. Bonus. About how long um, do you cook on each side? About four minutes on each side will okay. do it. And okay. I think you're almost there. Yeah, you're good. That you're golden. Good. Fantastic. So if you want to take them out. So now that we got the last batch in, let me take you through what these finished babies look like. Like I said, you're going to have some happy families um, out there wanting to eat this. This is so easy. You saw how quickly we got in and done. Just want to remind everyone we really want feedback at Autism Live and want to know what you want to see next. 
So if you've got an idea, a recipe you want us to convert, um, or to talk about a particular topic, we'd love to hear from you. You could do that at autismlive at gmail.com or Facebook land. We're all on Facebook, facebook.com slash autismlive. And then again, there's already thousands of recipes waiting for your eyeballs to go cruise over on the TACA website. We'll look forward to seeing you next time on Autism Live. Thanks for joining us. Karen Nolte on the phone, as we were saying before. She's been on before as mm -hmm. one of our autism experts. Mm -hmm. She's joining us today from the Research and Development Department of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders to talk about a couple of studies. So Karen, take it away. Sure, I am so glad this is working now. I have two studies to share for you on the topic of parent support. And the first study is called Interventions to Promote Well-Being in Parents of Children with Autism, a Systematic Review, and it's by Franz, Hansen, and Malchek. And this study is a little different than most parent training studies in that instead of focusing on teaching parents specific strategies, it instead reviewed research on interventions targeting parental well-being. So things like decreasing parent stress, decreasing parent symptoms of depression, and helping parents really feel like they know how to support their child. So they reviewed research from four common intervention areas, including ADA, educational programs, mindfulness-based interventions, and cognitive behavioral therapy. And what they found was, while all of those programs improved parental well-being, the studies of the highest quality were those um, in ADA and uh, mindfulness-based interventions. So what's the takeaway from this? It's really important to focus on your well-being as a parent, and for us as clinicians to help parents in this area as well. Um, as stress as a parent can really impact your child, and how they're performing and how well they're doing, and it can also you know, affect your availability for your child. But the great news is that you know, the support can be provided through EDA sessions. Okay, so they actually found that when the parents got help for their stress that the child did better, is that, that what we're saying? So, so that, that wasn't the specific connection made in this study. The specific connection was ABA caused parent or caused an increase in parents' uh, sense of well-being in terms of decreasing stress, decreasing depression, and other studies have connected those those that decrease in stress and depression with positive things for children. Got okay, it. Great. Got it. Super Got important. It. Wonderful. And what's the other okay. study? The other study is called Compassionate Care and Behavior Analytic Treatment. Can outcomes be enhanced by attending to relationships with caregivers? And this is by Taylor LeBlanc and Nasek. And this really talks about beyond the technical skills in ABA, behavior analysts should demonstrate empathy and compassion. You know, empathy being defined in this article as taking others' perspective, and compassion defined as really taking thoughtful action as a result of that empathy. So in this study, the researchers sent parents of kids with autism in ABA programs a survey, and they asked them to rate their behavior analyst's ability to empathize and show compassion on different levels. And what they found was, was while parents scored behavior analysts high in considering parents' concerns and caring about their child and in celebrating accomplishments, they really found that behavior analysts needed improvement in regularly asking parents how they're doing and reassuring them that things would get better and in using too much technical language. Um, so the takeaway for me is really, I know behavior analysts in this field care, but we need to do a better job of showing that. So we can do things more like engaging in active listening, avoiding technical jargon, and really making sure we're caring for the family as a unit. And for parents out there, they can really seek out those qualities in a supervisor, and they can you know, ask for these things. You know, They can ask their supervisors to use less technical jargon and, and help support them in these areas. I love okay. this, right? Good. I mean, yeah. this is not what we all want from, from our therapy team. Yeah. Karen, this is so great because I read these exact same studies and I didn't get that exactly. Okay. So, <laughs> Thanks uh, for decoding is, it for yeah, us. Yes, decoding it for us. And uh, I understand that on a regular basis, somebody from your team is going to join us and help to decode these studies. Yeah, because it's hard for us yes. regular people to understand them sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you so much, Karen, and thank your team for us, and we'll look forward to the next person visiting the show. Definitely. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you, Karen. Bye-bye. Uh, so now we're going to take a short break, and we're going to then come back with our first guest, right. um, who is the author, one of the authors of this wonderful workbook, 
It's titled Setting Up Classroom Spaces That Support Students with Autism Spectrum Disorders. And so Christine Reeve, Dr. Christine Reeve, is going to be with us in just a few minutes. What a great workbook. Have yes, got it's any a wonderful workbook out there? for teachers. Or anybody who wants to have a gift in this holiday season mm -hmm. for a teacher in their life or right. your child's teacher. Right. What an amazing, amazing workbook for just figuring out how to set up the space. And she's going mm -hmm. to talk with us a little bit about how the space determines how the child does. Right. So stick with us back with Christine Reeve after these messages. Hey guys, for the month of September, I figured I'd show you guys how to make a task completion chart to help your kids get through the hardest parts of the day. Parents have been writing into our host, Shannon Penrod, the hardest parts of the day are waking up in the morning, after school, and getting ready for bed. Please keep in mind you can always modify the task completion chart to focus on the skills that your family needs most. The template we'll be using today to make the task completion chart you can find at facebook.com slash autismlive. Alright, let's get to it. The materials you'll be needing are the template, cardstock, scissors, hole puncher, glue, pipe cleaner, velcro, and photos or images. We find it more reinforcing for kids if you use images of themselves doing the tasks that you're trying to get them to complete. So what I have here to start off are photos of myself doing all the tasks that we're going to add to our task completion chart today. The first step you're going to be doing is printing the template from facebook.com slash autismlive. I have it here and the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to trim out the top. We don't need that, that's just totally excess. Now that I trim my three templates, I'm going to label each one with a different part of the day that we're focusing on, such as waking up, after school, and getting ready for bed. Now that I've finished labeling the templates with the appropriate time of the day, I'm going to attach the photos that go with it. For bedtime, the tasks I chose were getting ready for school, putting away toys, putting on pajamas, and brushing teeth. Now repeat this for all the rest of the day. Now that I've added the photos to the template, I am taking this along with my heavy cardstock to hold all my tokens. I'm going to line them up and make three hole punches. I'm going to take this pipe cleaner and attach the pages together with it. We're almost done putting this together. Next, I'm going to take my Velcro. I'm going to put them underneath each picture and then I'm gonna add four on the very edge too. Now that I've attached the rough side of the Velcro to the template, now I'm gonna take the softer side and add these to the tokens. You can use whatever you want for the tokens, whatever your child finds reinforcing. They could be stickers, images, spacemen, Pokemon, whatever they like. Before you use your task completion chart, it's really important that you do a preference assessment to see what your child finds reinforcing that day. Once you have that established, then you can tell them the rule for how this task completion chart works. So every time they get one of their tasks completed, they add a token to it. And the way the task completion chart functions is like a token economy. So after they put a token under each one of these tasks, they can trade it in for their reinforcer for the day. Now that you've made your task completion chart, hopefully your child will be able to use it on a daily basis and help them through those difficult times of the day. Well, until next time, craft on. Bye, guys. Can you see me flying by your side? Hi, I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're at the ABCs and XYZs of Special Needs Conference. And this year, for the first time, they've got something really remarkable. It's the Entrepreneurial Boutique. These are all items that have been made and are being sold by individuals who have special needs. So we're going to do a little shopping and talk to some of these fabulous entrepreneurs. Come on. My name is Molly Rarick, and I'm founder of Reed's Gift. We're a nonprofit that serves teens and adults with special needs, like Chase here. Uh, we were founded in 2013 and serve people in the Conejo Valley, Santa Barbara, and LA. Our main objective is to give our participants the skills they need to gain a more independent life. 
My name is Shelly Cox and um, Lisa Zalagi and I are founders of Creative Steps and Create Micro Business Enterprises. And the, the items that we're selling here today are all made by the clients who have uh, passions about what they want to make and then they get the profits from what they make after we've paid all of the other expenses. We are here today because um, I, my goal is to be independent and also I would like to share all my artwork and I would like to sell. Thinking about at his young age being a businessman, you know, it's, it's amazing. I cannot be more proud. decided to start Autism Works Now as a small business because 90% of individuals with autism and related disabilities are not employed after graduating from high school. Our mission at Autism Works Now is to create job opportunities for spectrum youth and kids through awareness and education. because joining us via Skype right now is Christine Reeve. She is one of the authors of this amazing workbook, Setting Up Classroom Spaces That Support Students with Autism Spectrum Disorders. Christine, thank you so much for joining us for, and for putting this booklet together. No, thank you. You have quite an extensive background in the area. You have a BCBA doctoral degree and a master's and doctorate in clinical psychology as well. And you are the founder and director of Reeve Autism Consulting. Yes. Okay. yes. I spent a lot of years doing this. Thanks, thanks for having, having me. me. Oh, we're welcome. thrilled to have you. So let's talk a little bit about, um, this is an amazing, I think, gift during the holiday season for anybody who knows and loves a teacher, whether it's your child's teacher or somebody else. But let's talk a little bit about why setting up the space is so important. For students with autism and a lot of other students with disabilities, the predictability of their environment becomes really important. And the structure of their environment is very important because it's one less thing that they have to focus on, which allows them to really focus on the work that we want them to do. So by setting up an environment that is predictable, meaning we always have the same things in the same places, that I know that we're going to go to math, we're going to go to this place, and the activity is sort of going to run like this, it means that you can spend more time focused on the math and less on where are we going and what am I doing and all that kind of stuff, which can reduce a lot of behavioral issues. We've got some good research that shows that setting up a structured environment for individuals on the spectrum can reduce challenging behaviors and also it reduces just their overall frustration level of knowing how the classroom works. And go ahead. We have a five-step process here. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you want to go through that with us? Sure. Um, I think in, in setting, setting up a classroom, you want your decisions to be purposeful, and that means that you've really got to start with a plan. And you want to make sure if you're setting up a classroom specifically for students with autism or specifically for students in special education, you really want to know what their needs are. So the first part is really getting to know the students. And I use a process that we call a teaching implementation plan that allows me to go through the students' IEPs and think about how and where we're going to teach the skills, how we're going to track the skills. And we plan that out for each student in the classroom. And so that really gives us an idea of what the classroom needs to have in it in order to meet those particular students' needs. Because the classroom that I have this year may look very different than the classroom 
class will I have next year, depending on the students that make it up. And then from that, we can then build our schedule because from the tip, we then know what activities do their goals need to be taught in. Those are the things that are going to go into our schedule. So then we take a schedule grid and start putting it together in blocks of time according to the types of activities. So if I'm working with a 21-year-old who or 20-year-old who is going on a vocational site, obviously his day is going to be heavily geared towards more life skills and more work type of activities versus, say, if I'm working with a kindergartner who's working more on basic academics and letters and numbers, they're going to have more of the traditional classroom types of activities. So once I know my students, I can start to put together the schedule. And from the schedule, you can then start to really think about your physical space. Now, all of these, I talk about these as if they really kind of happen in a sequence, and they do, but a lot of times you're doing all of them at the same time. So, so you're, you're putting together your schedule, schedule and then saying, oh, well, that, that was great if I had all the space in my room that, that I don't have. have. So then I don't have to go, go back and fix my schedule. So the, the next, next piece, piece that, that I put together is really the physical space, space, which usually you started to think about from the moment you walked into the classroom. Uh, in terms of where the activity is going to take place, how are students going to rotate, move around the room, what visual supports do we need to put in place for this particular classroom, how are they going to know where to go based on those, how can we increase their independence. And then once we've got the schedule and the physical space, then we've really got to look at how we're going to organize our staff. Because typically in a special education classroom, it's not just a teacher running the classroom. It's a teacher who's managing a group of paraprofessionals and collaborating with other therapists to provide the services to the students. And because of that, we've got to make sure that that is highly organized. And we do that by what we call a staff zoning plan or a staff schedule that sets, tells each staff member where they need to be at different times what they need to be doing at those times so that everybody's on the same page. So what we're trying to do is really focus on creating a classroom that almost runs itself, that once you get the routine down, once you get all the kinks worked out of it, then it kind of just runs on its own, which allows staff to focus more on the students and what their needs are and allows the students to focus more on the work that they're being asked to do. I tell you, it's like you're an organizational genius, honestly. I, I, there are like things that I want to put you in charge of for life. But I, I just want to show in the booklet for people, what I, one of the things I love about this is that you include pictures and graphics, and you so, show some of the charts, some of the examples of uh, this is a schedule that you're showing. And, and on another page, it lists all the different equipment needs that you would have depending on the age of the kiddos in the classroom. This is such a comprehensive resource, Christine. What made you decide that you were going to put this together? Like, what finally tipped the ticket and you were like, okay, other people don't know how to do this. I'm going to show them how to do this uh, in the best possible way. What made you decide to do that? Well, Susan Cabot, my co-author, and I have worked together for more than 20 years now. And we spent a lot of that time setting up classrooms. And we got to the point where we're pretty good at going in and doing it really quickly. Because, because we, we developed, developed a system to do it. it. And what, what we found was that that was something that teachers really needed more help with, is trying to figure out even things like, like I don't have that kind of furniture, what can I use instead? Um, districts needed information about what kinds of materials they needed. So um, Sue was the director of Bowdoin School at different times in, in time. And, um, I worked there for a number of years and worked with the university, and we provided consultation and training to school systems throughout the country. And from doing that, it became very clear that this is a presentation that kind of began with, we need to be able to show them what we mean, and then it just naturally built into a book. It's a book that we wanted to write for a long time. Our next one is actually hopefully going to focus on the zoning and kind of the next steps yeah, in that in process, process of pulling it all together. Yeah, Tell us where people can get your book. Um, um, they can get it through the abcpublishing.net uh, bookstore, and, and they can the also get it on Amazon. And once again, it's setting up classroom spaces that support students with autism spectrum disorders. 
It's, a, yes. it's amazing. And I got to say, uh, if for no other reason, you got to get this book for this page that's towards the back of the book, that it says, warning signs of problems with the physical environment and possible solutions. Because you and I have, uh, have both had the opportunity to be in classrooms where you can tell three seconds walking in the door whether it's a teacher who has control of the classroom right. and the classroom is working. This goes down a list of, for instance, running in the classroom mm -hmm. is a sign that your physical environment isn't working. And, and she not only identifies that, but tells you some solutions for that, plus a whole bunch of others. Touching others' materials at the mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. Like, how many times have we seen that? These are all fixable if you work the steps she was just talking about and get this manual. It's a fabulous thing. So, Christine, thank you so much for being with us. I'm going to be reaching out to you to ask you to participate in our Autism in the Classroom. Okay. Thank you thank so you much. Love thank you. Thank you for having me. You okay. take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful resource. Because, yes. you know, this is not everybody's bailiwick. You could be a great right. teacher but not know how to put this together. Exactly. And this is essential. Give you a blueprint. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we've got another guest. We're really focusing on the classroom yes, today. Yes, we are. Uh, Nicole Siobhan, Siobhan, I believe. And she's a special it. education teacher, and uh, she has a, a, a website that's called The Learning Lab. So Nicole, we're going to be talking Nicole's with her. There we go. Right. So stick with us. We're going to be back after these messages. I'm Alexis Weinman at the Future Horizons uh, Super Conference in Dallas, Texas. It helped me in a way because it was a format that I was not used to. Like, I had never curled my hair before. I've never worn heels. I didn't know what foundation was. And it was just, uh, it was a very, like, it helped me more in a business sense. Like, I know how to present myself in front of people now. That's, that's something my mom drilled into my head. Um, I have trouble sometimes with it. Like, you introduced yourself to me downstairs, and so I immediately, like, and I've heard of you before, so I was like, I know this person. I can make eye contact with this person. And um, if I'm talking to someone I don't know or if I'm listening to someone give a speech, most of the time my head will be down. I don't look at people in the eye, but if it's someone I know I need to make eye contact with, I make eye contact. But my mom, growing up, she... Uh, especially after the diagnosis, she would always like grab my hand if I was like, you know, looking everywhere else but her, and she'd like say, "Look me in the eye." And so she wouldn't let go of my hand until I looked her in the eye. I do feel like I have to be so taught because, you know, sometimes there'll be jokes I don't understand, but I'll laugh at anyway. Uh, there'll be uh, situations that I'm not comfortable with, but I'm gonna have to play along anyway, and. Uh, I, th I think I just found out, like, I'm just a tremendously amazing liar. <laughs> like, I can pretend like I'm uncomfortable with something when in actuality I am screaming inside or I'm, I know the moment I get back to my dorm room I'm going to start screaming uh, or having a meltdown or something like that. But I also know that there is a time and a place because uh, there isn't any safe rooms uh, available uh, in neurotypical society. Like, we have to make our own. And, uh, you know, on a college campus, there's not many places you can go and scream without attracting attention. The way I explain it to people is, uh, you know, people, brains like hamster wheels. Eventually, the hamster's got to take a break. Um, autistic brains aren't like that. They just keep going and going and going. So we can't stop thinking about things. There's, like, that's why a lot of kids with autism have sleep problems, because they can't fall asleep because they have too much on their brain that they can't sleep because they're thinking too much. And um, I think it's just the walking in circles. There's no thought to the circle. Like, it's just, like, so I'll just plug in my earphones so I can't hear anything else except whatever white noise I'm listening to, and I'll just walk in a circle. I think it's just, like, we are just as prevalent as men with autism. There might not be as many as uh, uh, there are boys, but... Um, we are still part of this movement, we're still part of this community, and we just got to be remind people that, hey, you know, we're here too, you know, don't forget about us. Uh, one thing I've learned is that, um, first off, I'm not the only person who 
uh, is speaking from their own perspective. Like I feel like I go to some of these conferences and it's a bunch of doctors and a bunch of parents who want to talk and get to know what autism is about, but there's not a lot of people on the spectrum talking about it. And so I come to these and I see Temple Grandin, who's one of the biggest faces in the autism community, actually get up and talk about what help Paul and what we need to do to in order to get our kids out of society and not in our uh, parents' basements. And so it's it just kind of reaffirmed me like, I'm not the only one. Thank you. Because <laughs> I go to these and I would be the only one. I'd be next to a bunch of doctors and talking about worlds I have not even seen before, let alone pronounced. And I'm just sitting here like, I did a pageant once. <laughs> so it's good to know like I'm speaking from a perspective of uh, not necessarily overcoming, but learning to live with uh, this because I feel like not a lot of people come out and say what it's like to live on the autism spectrum. Um, a lot of people talk about their struggles and everything like that, but they don't talk about you know, what they've done to uh, make their lives better uh, while living on the spectrum. Welcome yeah. back. Yes. We're very excited. We're uh, learning a lot about the classroom today. We are learning a lot about the classroom and joining us via Skype, we have Nicole Chavayan. Have I got it even close to right? Did I say your Hello. name correctly? Hi. Say your name yeah, for Nicole us, Chavian. Nicole. Chavayan. Chavayan. Okay. And Nicole um, is coming to us. She is the creator of uh, Nicole's Learning Lab. She's a special education uh, teacher, educator, and uh, she's going to be talking with us a little bit about some different aspects that she's learned over the years uh, working with especially upper elementary grades. And, you know, can I just say how thrilling it is to talk to people who are passionate about being in the about classroom teaching. with our kids? Yeah. I mean, I love teachers, and there's nothing better than good teachers because... Uh, they make the world go round. They do, and they can literally change the trajectory of a kid's life. Absolutely. So. And you're coming to us. You live uh, near Syracuse. Where are you in New York? Uh, we're right in central New York, um, a little town called Baldwinsville. It's just outside of Syracuse. Um, I know all about Baldwinsville. It's pretty good right now. <laughs> I uh, I actually graduated from SUNY Oswego and then taught at SUNY Oswego for three years. So I know all about Baldwinsville. Oh, you do? Okay. Oh, wow. Awesome. I, I love Baldwinsville. It's beautiful when the leaves fall in Baldwinsville. Um, so in any case, thrilled to have you here with us. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, one of the things that you like to talk about is using diverse literature in the classroom, which is not necessarily the first thing that people think of when they think of special education. Right. So talk to us, enlighten us. Um, so recently there's been a lot of talk um, with teachers and teacher authors about including um, diverse literature in their libraries at school and at home. And typically the focus is on um, different races and different cultures and different genders and including books that represent um, all of the students in our classroom. And so I have seen a lot of lists go out that included those different populations, but I didn't see anything focusing on um, people that have different abilities. And so I did some research and looked around, asked around some of my friends, um, thought about some of the books that I had read in my classroom or to my own children at home, and came up with a list that includes um, titles um, with characters that happen to have disabilities. So there, there's a lot of literature out there that's like all about books, so it just focuses on um, what a certain type of disability is about. And I really didn't want that. I wanted to have a, a good list of books that represented um, the students that I see in my classroom so they could really see themselves in the books that we were reading. And is there a large amount of books along these lines that have uh, students with uh, different types of abilities? To be honest, it was really difficult for me to put together a list. There really isn't um, that much out there that I found. Um, I believe I have maybe 15 to 20 books. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously that's not going to hit every single disability that we see. Um, I have reached out to some authors that re or that write um, some actual like books for adults um, to see if maybe 
maybe they were interested in possibly um, writing some children's literature about things that I saw some holes. Um, I did not find, it was really difficult to find any books um, that included characters with Down syndrome. Um, and finally, after reaching out to a lot of people, I found one book that I had to hold on to even include it because it wasn't released until this past August. Wow. Well, and so the list that you have made, is it available on Nicole'sLearningLab.com? Yes, I believe if you go to the website right now, it's um, either the second or third article, but it's also on the revolving um, image at the top of the screen. Okay. So one of the many things that we can find if we go to Nicole's Learning Lab. And Nicole, I, you know, before we, we sign off today, I don't know if you know, have you met Bruce Colville? I have not, no. So Bruce Colville is one of the most famous and prolific uh, children's book writers. He wrote the book, My Teacher is an Alien. Mm -hmm. um, and they're really popular. There's a whole line of books, and he writes for everything from very young kids to older kids. He lives in Oswego. I'm going to hook wow. you up with him. And, and oh, you can awesome. bend his ear and tell him he needs to write a book with kids with different ab abilities because awesome. he's right in your backyard. And then the two of you can go on tour together. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he'll appreciate me lending him out doing that. In any case, um, so uh, you also, one of the things, uh, we, we have a lovely article that you shared with us from your website talking about paraprofessionals and how they can be more effective. And you also talk about providing windows and mirrors for our students through books. Um, and that's kind of what you were just saying about making sure that it reflects who they are. What have you found in the classroom when you do have this list of books and, it, and, and they reflect? What difference do you see in your students? Is it a self-esteem issue? Do you find the behavior issues are better? So everybody wants to recognize themselves in places. That's just human nature. They want to be able to make connections. And for a lot of our students, the books that we read, they're not making connections with the characters because they're so unlike them in a lot of ways. But when they can see a character that they do connect with, it does, it, I see that it gives them a lot more confidence and um, a sense of self-worth because they see themselves in these books. And then, um, because I've always taught in an inclusion classroom, or not always, but most recently, um, I do see um, the general education students in there, when they are reading these books, they are getting a... Um, a window, they're looking through a window and they're, they're seeing into the lives of these other students that are in their classroom and they're able to make more of a connection. I know that some of the kids that I've worked with, there is a sense of fear because of the unknown and then when they read some of these books, they're able to reach out more and, and make more meaningful friendships with these students in our classroom. I think it just yeah. makes sense. It I always remember sense. Whoopi Goldberg talking about when she was a little girl and that she would watch Star Trek, mm -hmm. and she would see L Lieutenant Uhura yeah, on Star Trek, and that African American, and that made yeah. her feel like she could do anything. Mm -hmm. Here was this woman who was in a command position mm -hmm. in the future, and it made her feel like she could do anything. And that that resonated with me as a mom. So when my son was diagnosed with autism, whenever there was somebody like at the time when he was little, James Durbin was on American Idol. Right. And we would turn on American Idol, and he would rock out and, and light the piano on fire and all the things that he did. And I would sit there, and I would say to my son, see him? He has autism, just like you. And mm -hmm. look at him. He's mm -hmm. doing amazing. And I was mm -hmm. always pointing those people out to him. Did you find that with Wyatt, too? Yes, that, I did. Uh -huh. And, it, and I, I, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, Jem has such a good self-esteem in terms of being on the spectrum. There's no negative for right. him. Right. Like, if somebody said to him that was negative, he'd be like, what are you talking about? Right. And I attribute that to being able to point to different things. Different and so, models. And why leave reading out of the equation? Because yeah. um, it's such a, a fabulous way for kids to learn. I just want to point out that your website is such a, a wonderful resource for so many different things. For somebody who is passion, passionate about special education, you, as you mentioned, have worked in an inclusive inclusion classrooms. And that one of your passions is helping teachers to thrive. I Inclusion is one of my passions, at Nicole, but I find that a lot of people don't know how to do it right. But if they come to your website, you're full, you have lots of tips and tricks to be able to help them, correct? Yes, I definitely do. Yep. Okay. We so need more the, people like we you. We do. So go to NicoleSLearningLab.com is your website. 
yeah. where people can find out more. And and we had started out because your the information that you had sent us was so comprehensive. We were like, this is a book. Like we assumed it was a book, and Nicole. It's an article. What so. does what does that tell you, Nicole? <laughs> I think that you need to join your authors on your list. Uh, so we maybe, will, maybe in the future. We will look forward to your first book, and and I will look forward to connecting you with Bruce Colville so that you'll have an author right there in your backyard. Uh, so again, uh, www.nicoleslearninglab.com. Nicole, do you ever uh, hire out as a consultant? I have not. I've actually spent the last couple of years home with, I have three children. Oh. Um, I'm going back to the classroom in January, so my plate, my plate is going to be uh, much fuller soon. Um, but it's something that I'm open to. Okay, All right. Great. Well, that and, and writing your book. <laughs> no pressure, Nicole. No pressure. Yeah. Thank you so thank much. You Enjoy us, the Nicole. snow in upstate New York. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. All right. All Take right. care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. I think we're out of time. I, I think we're very close to being out of time. We've got about a you minute left. We're going to talk about tomorrow's show. Uh, we, have have a, we have a big show tomorrow, and we're covering a lot of the toys that are in our festival of oh, toys. Okay. We plan to cover a couple of them, uh, and we just ran out of time for the amount of time that we had. But uh, we've got a bunch of guests tomorrow. We're really going to hit mm -hmm. it hard tomorrow talking about toys and how, you know, you can take this holiday season and you're going to spend some money to get a child a toy. But why not get a toy that not only enriches everything that they need to be learning, but also makes them happy and joyous. Right. And one of the things I enjoy here is that when we show you is that you can use the toy that it's therapy, but the child doesn't know that doesn't it's therapy. Know that. Right. Yeah, right. that's that's a good time for me. So that's the, oh my gosh, and I just want to say this too: there are only a few tickets left for those of you who are in the Los Angeles area. We have our Sensitive Santa event that's coming up a week from this Saturday. It's December eighth, and uh, you can go on Eventbrite and put in Autism Live Sensitive Santa, and you'll find the page. And we are down to less than twenty tickets. Okay. Uh, but please, if, if it's it sold out, it at? takes place at the We Rock the Spectrum in Tarzana on Krebs Avenue. Okay. All that information is on there. The tickets are free. There's no cost. And every child that comes gets one of the toys that right. we feature on the show. Right. And um, and but it's free. It's totally free. If you get there and it's all sold out for the time that you want to come, please sign up for the waiting list and please come anyway. We we've made a huge effort in the past and we will again this this year um, to make sure that everybody on the waiting list gets in as well. So okay, do great. do the waiting list, okay? Fantastic. Thank you for right. being here, thank Nancy. We want to thank Eric for, for sticking right. with us and, uh, after all the issues tracks. that we've had, and he stuck it out. Okay. So we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And give yourselves a hug from me.